So Montessori in itself has its roots in um, respect for oneself, for others, and for the environment. Mm-hmm. And so with that foundation, um, often Montessorians are, are naturally um, led into and also trained in Adlerian child psychology, mm-hmm. which is freedom within boundaries. Hey listeners, welcome to Soul in the Game podcast. I am your host, Saumya. And in today's episode, I have the honor to talk to one of the Montessori teachers who sold her Montessori and now is diving into ecotherapy. I wanted to learn about her running the Montessori, which has deeply environmental principles that is rooted in the structure and how and what is ecotherapy before i go if you have not subscribed please do subscribe and like or share if the message resonates with you thank you and stay tuned Judy, welcome to Soul in the Game podcast. I am very honored and excited to have you on the show uh, because my son, who was um, was like three year old, started Montessori at your school. That Spondeo, that was your school, uh, Spondeo Montessori in um, Gilbert, Arizona, and now he is in second grade, but we have we have maintained uh, communication we have maintained relationship where we talk or exchange ideas about scooby making kombucha making so (laughs) i'm very excited to talk to you especially for this earth day episode so welcome thank you so much i'm so happy to be here and to to share anything i'm able to share that will be helpful to you and to other people definitely definitely so you are a Montessori, you were a Montessori teacher and you still, you are still Montessori teacher. Are you still teaching now? Um, I actually am still teaching, but in a different type of um, context due to COVID-19. Um, I am a Montessori certified teacher as well as I have my uh, bachelor's degree in education and Montessori is part of my graduate work. And, um, and so I'm, I'm actually working with a family in a private home right now, um, just through all of the hiccups and accordion type timelines that we're experiencing between in-person school and then screen time school. So supporting them and, and um, through that adventure is, is, um, is very different but it also provides a lot of opportunities, um, which I have seen um, obviously firsthand with that family. Yeah. You know, when I was, um, when my son was three-year-old and as a new parent with uh, other work commitments, it was, there's so many questions. I'm, as, as a parent, I'm, I'm sure many parents go through that. Like, am I doing this right? Is this the right way to do it? Because we lack also guidance of our parents being present um, in that situation. And anytime I come up with some behavioral thing, for example, I get fear. Fear is the biggest thing, like scared. Oh my gosh, my son did this. Is this gonna be like permanent behavior as they grow up? Is it gonna be the same? That type of thought that that goes in, in, in my system. And I remember one incident, I think uh, uh, my son was um, um, aggressive with a friend and we, I, t- I came and I, I was like, oh, I'm concerned about this. And you were so patient, this is normal. <laughs> Every kid goes through this. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I felt so much better talking to you. Um, so how do you see that type of behavior with parents? Like they're so stressed out and um, is that common across? Um, it, it actually is. And I think what happens is 
you become attuned to it. So a, a process of, of learning to um, be aware of the emotional signals, the body language that and the the tone of the voice and all those little subtle cues that come with um, and help your emotional IQ. Yeah. And so, so when a parent comes into me um, physically, I can pick up on a lot of, of language. There's a lot of data coming in. And actually, I, I actually prefer to see a family or parents in person um, versus conversing via email on any type of subject matter that needs mm -hmm. extra attention or just extra support because the face-to-face -face contact, um, I mean, obviously we're on a Zoom call, so that can help too, but, and in the context of what we're living right now, but in-person face-to-face really, really helps to tap into all these sub subliminal messages for via mm -hmm. body language, but also it gives you that connection and that eye contact that's necessary and primitive to human beings um, in order for us to feel um, calmer and connected. Because when we feel connected, we calm down. We have a tendency to calm down and, and then we have those mirror neurons too. Um, and all of these techniques that I'm talking about, these are just, <laughs> they're ingrained in us and we often have to, to um, be aware of them and facilitate them and tap into them and, and grow those, those strengths um, in order to connect with one another. But in that process, we are able to move forward and to communicate and to understand at a better level that overall um, helps not only the child, but also the parents as well to navigate those developmental changes and, and um, milestones that children naturally go through and we as parents go through too because we're not a child anymore and our experiences can be and are completely different similar but completely different from our own children um, and then also from our parents too so there's a lot of moving parts and the best way i can say um is how i accomplish that is is through um learning myself about different ways to communicate with people and but mostly in person absolutely in person and talking talking to mm. so talking to parents yeah do you see the difference in um is it more more of a training as a teacher or is it more of a montessori style of um uh, philosophy so Montessori in itself has its roots in um, respect for oneself, for others, and for the environment. Mm -hmm. And so with that foundation, um, often Montessorians are, are naturally um, led into and also trained in Adlerian child psychology, mm -hmm. which is freedom within boundaries, which um, which is, is <laughs> allows for consequences versus um, punishments. And, uh, and it's behavior related. So, and, and the theory is, is that every behavior has an underlying um, motivation behind it. And so a lot of observation and then being able to work forward within the, the structure of the psychology with, with the child. And it also, there's Adlerian child psychology and there's Adlerian adult psychology too. And um, I'm more familiar with the Edlerian child psychology and how it presents itself. Um, we utilize that in the Montessori classroom because of the respect for the child and respect for the environment and being able to control the environment and not, not the child, allowing the child to have freedom within boundaries and they can make a choice. We give choices to two choices for them. You can do this or you can do this and let them have that power, that sense of power and that, that, that ownership and um, account and um, agency in their decision that they make, which helps to build their self-esteem and self-confidence as well. So it's a, it's a big, <laughs> it's a, it's a big component <laughs> to help these children grow um, into everything that they're created to be and have um, good, healthy boundaries um, for themselves and for others and for the environment. Yeah, that, that is, um, I think that even for adults, we need those reminders. <laughs> Uh, as I mean, that's such an amazing foundation for children to have. And uh, I remember 
visiting Montessori's and um, in Spondia Montessori, for example, all those, everything was like at child level, the, the tables and even the things were all size of children and they weren't even plastic, for example, they were like real glass or real ceramic and that can fall and drop and shatter everything. And um, I think Ishan, my son, he got used to doing that. And when we were visiting some place, he was handling the glass thing um, by himself. And my mom was there. She was like, oh my gosh, glass item, it might break and fall, I mean, fall and break and uh, hurt him. And I was like, it's okay. He's, he's used to it. It's, it, it's, it's a different thing for an adult to get used to that. And we are, we are always driven by, oh my gosh, this might happen, that might happen. Is that a common um, theme across parents or across, you know, people who are not so used to? So Montessori really actually exposes a lot of parents to um, the, the actual capabilities of their children and to actually trust their children. And then also to have a game plan for when things do break and shatter because that's life things break and shatter not only literally but figuratively too and how do we you know then emotionally process and move through that situation and then resolve the situation such as when a when a cup drops you know there's so many things happening i mean there's gravity there's the shattering of a different type of substance there's um there's the shards of glass that go everywhere and um, there's a safety factor that comes into play when that happens and so there's so many moving parts that occur just in that single lesson. I mean, look at it as in a lesson. It's not, it's not a shame-based thing or anything like that. It's like, well, this is an opportunity for us to talk about and see what happens and what we need to do and how our body language needs to be during a situation like this. So when I talked about mirror neurons, the teacher's calm, the, um, and then therefore the children are calm and say, okay, we need to make sure everyone's safe. I need you to stand over there and stand over there. I'm going to get the broom. Johnny, will you go and grab the dustpan? Um, Janie, will you go and grab some wet paper towels? Squeeze them out for me, please. And, and those might be the older students in the classroom or the younger, but someone that you know that has that skill set. And then they watch you clean up the glass and you might talk about it as you're doing it. Um, therefore, it just becomes this whole entire lesson. Um, parents um, in our day and age, especially with the invention of plastic, um, you know, in our, in our culture also always wants to make everything easier, easier, faster, more efficient. And in some, in some areas, that's absolutely appropriate, but it's not really appropriate for the age of a child. I'm not saying that, you know, a, a, an infant should be walking around with a, with a glass, you know, mm. you know, bottle, but they do now make silicone covers for those glass bottles. So there's less exposure of BPA or any other, you know, unknown plastic leaching chemicals into the child's beverages that they're drinking. Um, but, but the point I'm making is that um, no, most parents are just thinking plastic and things that are convenient and things that are that won't break and won't cause a mess because that mess in, a, in, a, in an adult's brain is it just takes more time and then I can't get to the next thing. But if you think about and you slow down to the pace of a child, everything is all about the process. It's not about the product at the end. It's about the process. And in Montessori, we are trained and we are taught that. And when you do that, oh my gosh, just the, the, the pressure just comes off of you because you're not thinking about the product all the time. You're actually in line with how the child's um, development works and then also how um, they get from point A to point B. And to be honest with you, they don't really care about their picture at the end. <laughs> they care more about the process. And, and it's interesting that we can take on so much of that and be reminded of, of the beauty of that with working with young children and having young children and being able to understand that and step in line with what they're doing, what they're learning. It helps us to slow down um, areas of our life and to actually re-obtain re that peace and that calmness and that process that comes with learning. Um, and we should always be learning all throughout our life. Yeah. So to answer your question, <laughs> most parents don't and, and, and grandparents and, and anyone that has not been exposed to Montessori and or has not come into this 
to this understanding. They, they, they're looking for the quick fix. They're looking for the fastest way to clean something up or prevent things. So, and in Montessori, we, we allow things to happen. But of course, okay. we, we mitigate it though. We're not going to have like in a toddler room, we're not yeah. going to have five glass items. We might only have one glass item because if yeah. it does break with toddlers, their mentality is a little different. They're like, Ooh, what's going on? And that's fine that they're what's going on, but we want to be able to, to mitigate not, you know, five things breaking at once. And yeah. plus their, their gross motor skills are, and, and fine motor skills are, are still being attuned. And, um, and so their grips and everything might not be as great. And that's fine. We just, we developmentally make things developmentally appropriate for the age group of the child and for children that are actually in the classroom. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about um, process, what if kids pay attention to the process and uh, we as an, we as adults, we are trying to avoid the process. <laughs> it's such a contradicting uh, thought for like um, if I think about it um, it's the more manual it is the 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 fa the better they learn the better they understand than than learning it's more about the understanding of how things work and more manual it is the more understanding it will be for the children and um, I grew up in that setting I didn't go to Montessori but it's we were forced to grow up in that kind of setting um with slow down pace and more manual work, more process. Now I am kind of, I may avoid certain things. Oh, it's too much process, but that makes so much sense. Um, I have that understanding or deeper, I can think through deeper because of that exposure to the process that I was as a child than, um, than just not avoiding them. Um, yeah, I really like that. And um, I like that, uh, you know, you used to have chicken, real chickens running around in, in the pack and kids would, kids would be running around and they, they would go and pick up the chicken and then pet it. And uh, I really like that. Uh, so how did you come up with that idea? So in Montessori environments, they want you, there's a special part um, called, um, care, well, care in the environment, right? We talked about how, you know, respecting the environment and, and that can be, that can range from pushing in your chair, sweeping underneath your table, washing your dishes after you use them, um, putting the work back on the shelf in a, in a neat and tidy fashion, um, for the next friend to use. And, um, so part of that is caring for animals and, um, you know, and plants too. So living things, we, we actually specifically have a work that's called non-living and living. And, um, and we, we categorize and designate what's living and not living. So it's very integrated into the entire Montessori curriculum. And, um, and so um, one of our teachers um, suggested chickens. Unfortunately, the zoning that we were in and everything like that, we were able to have chickens. Mm. Um, Gilbert, Arizona is, you know, historically more of the farming area of um, Arizona. And so right. um, I think in Phoenix, you can't, you're not allowed to have roosters um, because they make noise. Um, we, we didn't want roosters. Um, we sent them to actually to, to a place that if we did end up with a rooster, we, we would send them to this lovely lady that lived in a place where she could have roosters. And we also specifically looked for the silky bantam breed, which are considered the teddy bears of oh, okay. chicken worlds. And they're so soft and they're so thick and cute. And um, we, you know, that that's another thing, you know, we, 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 we search out, you know, in order to find a breed that's going to be conducive to the age of the children, everything like that, because we're teaching the children how to not only care for the animals, but specifically how you care and how you hold them and how you pet them. And, you know, a younger child doesn't have that, their, their gross motor, fine motor is still developing. They're, they're very much so gross motor. And so you have to teach them how to have gentle loving hands. And that, that of course carries over into being with their friends too, is having gentle loving hands. 
And, um, but yeah, so, you know, they, they learn about these, these creatures that are alive and we need to feed them and we need to clean their cage and we need to make sure that water and when they get to a certain age, they lay eggs. And at one point we had one, um, that, um, had a, like a prolapsed prolapsed and, you know, some of her, her innards came out. And fortunately we had one, a teacher on our, um, on our, uh, on our teaching teams that her mom grew up with chickens and so she knew what to do and she knew that she had to push it back in and I'm like oh my gosh chicken chicken hospital 101 I'm like oh my goodness and we actually ended up putting that particular chicken you know doing some research giving her some time and she was in the hallway for the good week or two right next to the toddler room that I was um, working in at the time and and the children I mean toddlers I mean we're talking toddlers they they knew that that chicken was in was in the, the chicken hospital. I called it this mm-hmm. in the chicky hospital right now. And we need to be quiet and have calm bodies and check on her and make sure she's, you know, has her water and her food. And all. and of course I'm modeling as I'm modeling to you right now, how I'm, I'm having yeah. a voice. So they know how to put the mirror neurons again, how to behave around the, that chicken at that time. So these are all life circumstantial things that happen. And I have countless videos of toddlers and older, you know, students too, working with these chickens and learning how to, to, um, to become comfortable around them. And Mm. we also did the life cycle of the chicken and we would incubate, um, the eggs as well. And then they would hatch and we would have them and, and then keep them in the classroom for a certain period of time. And the children would take turns holding the chicks to, to get them familiar with being held by humans too. So there was, there's a lot that goes into it, but so worth it because yeah. we have so many children that are just, I want to see the chickens and some children don't want to see the chickens and that's fine. You know, we respect where they are in that journey of comfort, being comfortable, but I can tell you there were several children that that would help them make the transition in the morning from their parent to into school would be going to see the chickens and their their parents would say their goodbyes to their child when they were engaged with the chicken um the, the parents wouldn't disappear because that's not appropriate either um they would say okay you know you're with the chickens now you're with rosie or or um i can't remember some of the other names snowball <laughs> and um and then that that child would have that connection now that connection and that in into her day and, and make that transition even better. And so it's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Very, very beautiful. Yeah. Thing. I, yeah, I could see that it was, uh, my son was not into live animals that much, but he still appreciated, uh, <laughs> um, or he would watch others do it, even though he wouldn't go and do it, uh, pet the chicken himself, he would appreciate others doing it and, um, just sit and enjoy, watch that. Um, that leads to an interesting topic that I want to very curious about learning from you is um, ecotherapy and which you which I heard from you for the first time about um, in in a different perspective as in, in in a learning setting right so what is ecotherapy so ecotherapy, from my research, I've just actually stumbled upon it um, in the last couple of years. Um, and I would like to best describe it as it's an umbrella over a lot of different types of um, opportunities and, and labeled therapies that involve the outdoor or working with the natural environment. So the way that I like to think about it in the context of working with young children and what I've experienced with young children is that sense of calm that they feel when they go outside, that sense of excitement, but then often a deeper type of peace that you can see in their body language when they're outside. Um, children have um, go through a period, it's called, it's called a, a, a sensitive period or um, Piaget called it a critical period, Montessori called it a sensitive period where they have attention to very, very tiny things, which makes parents really nervous because, you know, choking hazards. But, but if you think about it, you, when a child goes outside, they see the ants, they see the ladybug, they see these little tiny things and they're so interested in them. 
And so that's, that's actually really good because that is a natural stimulation of their curiosity to learn and to, to observe. And we want to cultivate that. But in that process, they're calm, they calm down and they're, they're at that sense of peace. And, um, and then also there's more room for them to roam and for them to, you know, get that gross motor, you know, practice and movement that their body is driving them to do. And then that's also, um, you know, outside gross motor movement, five motor movement, exploring, discovering, seeing things. And in Montessori specifically, we have outdoor environment. And, and um, so there's work outside and then there's specific work that needs to be done outside. So perhaps like nailing wood together or walking around the garden and watering plants, you know, in the big garden or attending to the chickens and things like that. Uh, and I just, I just realized how, how special that is for, um, and unique that is for a child. And then also I, I found how I felt outside too, and recalled my own personal Montessori experience and how not only I loved Montessori so much, but also being outside. And I'm still so drawn to being outside and, and that feeling of, of, uh, of just being still and, and, there's so much actually entertainment out there, but it's, there's that calmness about it that comes along with it. It's very different from a screen time, you know, like Candy Crush or, or I don't know, Clash of Clans or you name it, any sort of like screen type of um, activity is, is very, very different from sitting down and being still and watching and looking for things like almost like fighting the hidden things in the picture, you know, but, but you see a rabbit over there. Oh, what's the rabbit doing? You know, like, I wonder what they're going to do next, you know? So if you think about all those questions that are coming up, that's just generating the natural curiosity of a child. And it's very satisfying because it's, they're drawn towards it. And then they're finding out answers, but then also having more questions, which is natural and what is what the human brain is designed to do. So I find that um, it can be very therapeutic. It's something we need. Absolutely, it's something we need. And then it can be therapy as well, especially as our, our, the rush of our culture and the screen time increases um, as, a, as, as, as a babysitter for parents. And, and that's one thing we did at Spondeo as well. We did not have any screens at our school. The only time we had them um, would be during the summer because we would go into our summer hibernation is how we would call it, um, we, you know, magic school bus or something like that uh, for some transitions because it's so hot out and we weren't able to go outside. But the, um, the, the we would, I would purposely allow parents, any, any working parent working inside the home, working outside of the home, um, to give them that, that what I called the ace up the sleeve for 30 minutes, you know, 30 minutes of what the, um, what the, uh, uh pediatric, um, mm. Academy of Pediatric recommends only 30 minutes of, for children over the ages of two to have 30 minutes of screen time. But that screen time, that 30 minutes was an ace up the sleeve for the parents. So when the parents came home, like everybody needs a little bit of downtime, you know, before moving to the next thing. Some people don't need it as much. Some people aren't aware that they need it. But anyway, to, to set yourself up for success, that would be an ace up your sleeve. So you can, you know, watch 30 minutes of, of Magic School Bus. And while mommy, you know, just takes like 10 minutes to just kind of meditate or yoga or something before, you know, jumping into the next like, event for the, the, the sequencing of events for the evening. Um, so, Yes, outdoors. It's it can it's so so helpful in so many ways. And ecotherapy um, is emerging. I think there's a little more framework that's coming around it that, mm -hmm. that actually really really helps. And there's a lot of research out there as well. Um, um, Last Child in the Woods by Richard Louvre. I want to say love. It. love love is that how you pronounce it? And um, and and he actually has another book called um, vitamin N meaning for nature, oh, nature, nice vitamin N. And it talks about um, the deficit green deficit. So mm. 
I still have to go back in and, and re-research re all of that, but I have seen it manifested in so many ways in children that um, what I will come across and what I'll read, I can easily identify that, or it just generates curiosity to see it transform itself. Um, with the family that I'm currently working with, um, I built a garden at their house. Um, wow. so that, yeah, so we could, and we do a garden report every day, a garden report. And, and the greatest thing about um, gardening and all those things is that everything can spring from it. And that's a little bit more about a Reggio Emilio, um, Emilia, Reggio Emilia approach. Reggio, yeah, is, right. Is, yeah, is the, um, is you have a, a subject matter and then you spring from that curiosity into all areas such as like literature or science and math and they're all integrated. And when things are all integrated and when children are interested, it's a no brainer. They don't even know that you're trying to teach them a certain skill. Um, so we built this garden outside and we were able to incorporate um, growth um, in, in metric and in um, standard, English standard, and talking about why we have English standard and what the king said and all those things oh, wow. and, and go into that depth and then talk about how many inches are in a, in a you, know, you know, just all the specifics from the, the, the macro of it down to the micro. And, um, and we grew snap peas specifically and were able to graph and, and calculate and see how many peas we were able that grew. We started out with the flower, the growth, and then flower came, and then we knew that there was gonna be a pea, and we were happy that the bees were gonna come and pollinate, and we would encourage the bees to come and pollinate. And it was just a lot of excitement, you know? And then if you think about it, it's not instant. It's not instant. It's, we have to wait and see what happened, you know, yesterday between now and yesterday. What happened? Did it grow? It did grow. Yeah, so, so it's just, so it, it taps into that being patient and then that anticipation of excitement to see what's happened, what's changed, there's the keen observation. And then that generates more questions and that generates more things. And um, I actually have been composting, um, vegan composting for a good two, two plus years now. And I had not <laughs> emptied my composter because it just keeps on going down, 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 down. Nice. And I finally, in my move, I finally had to empty my composter. And I took, actually, we actually took that compost over to their house and we integrated that into their garden. And we, and they saw, they see what I put into my composter. And um, we were also, some pieces of plastic actually, actually got into the compost, you know, by mistake. And and I was able to show them as I was emptying, I'm like, look at what happened when this plastic was here, it completely stopped the whole process from happening. And then I also introduced that, the concept of, of, of composting to them by saying, old plants can help new plants. So when you put the old plants in a composter, they break down into, into you know, bite-sized you know, nutrients the new plants to grow. So do you see how old plants help new plants and how yeah. we can help that happen? And so there's just, it's just, it's so all encompassing, you know, it just encompasses everything from not only just the science, but then like a socially emotional type of um, awareness and, and stewardship and all those things. And, and wow, that just taps into the child's um, um, feeling of belonging and, um, and, and feeling loved and, and reciprocating that out into the environment as well. And then having these connections, not only with the person that's guiding them, which would be in this case, me guiding them along this journey, um, but also the connection with the earth. And because of that, and because of that awareness, then they will see and start to notice things that children a century ago would naturally just notice. But now because we have all these distractions and we have these screens and we have all this, 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 these um, synthetic things that, that occupy our time and keep us from being in the natural world, it cuts off a part of us in so many ways, especially that deep peace, that deep connection, that deep nurturing that we all are capable of having it to a greater, lesser extent. It's just a matter of being able to give them opportunities and nurturing in it as well. And, and, and with that family as well, they, um, we talked about plastic waste, waste. And, um, and I, and I gave them an example of like the sea turtles, 
you know, they think that they're sea jellies. They see this, this plastic bag that looks like a sea jelly and the sea jelly is their most favorite food. And then they eat it and now they're, they're starting to die because their stomachs are full of all these plastic, plastic products. So, so I explained to them, like, how can we reduce our use of plastic and what can we do to be responsible with any plastic that we get from, from are we going to buy this, this object? because it's in plastic or should we, can we find something different? So there's even planting seeds along that line as well um, of how, how um, they, can, they can make a difference. Their small choices can make a big difference in the long, in the long, long run of things, so. Yeah, I love that. That's, I think we need that in large scale. <laughs> well, we do need it in large scale, yeah. but when we, when we work with children, and we plant those seeds, that's, that's bringing the next generation to, of normalcy. That's yeah. normal yeah. for them. So we're just right, creating right. what, what has been lost or filtered out or, or, you know, you know, taken away mm -hmm. by, by the culture's influence and push for convenience, which, which we know is the convenience pushes profitability <laughs> in certain areas. So yeah. we're just kind of, making them aware and wise consumers and, and yeah, that, I love that. lessening yeah. the consumption as well, because we don't need that consumption. If we're, if we're addressing and filling those holes of, 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 of connection, human connection and connection with the earth and everything like that, if we're giving them the appropriate opportunities and, and showing them and reminding them like, Hey, do you remember how you felt when you were outside? Do you remember how that was, how that was, and that if they're able to identify it, you say, yeah, that that's a good feeling. And, and we, we want more of that. So we give them the lack of a word, the right medicine or what they're seeking in the right areas versus consumerism, consuming this toy or this, 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 you know, extra candy or, you know, anything like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, even in Montessori, when you were running, it was always like low sugar, treats and um it's opposite to just handing out candies for okay you did well good job you go there you go a candy for you um, a reward um a driven um, and it is a it is a reward driven society whether we want <laughs> we we like it or not it takes so much to even think otherwise like I don't want it to be reward driven. I want it to be naturally curious, curiosity driven rather than reward driven. So humans are, are intrinsically motivated um, by nature to a certain extent, but then there's also external motivation too mm. by mm. the response in their environment as they grow um, because we're wired to survive and we're wired to be, you know, yeah. to make it. And you know, not everybody's environment or their, their upbringing or their, their family life or is, is very, can be very unstable or to a certain extent, stable or less stable, depending on what's going on. And so the, the, the point about the intrinsic motivation is that children are intrinsic, intrinsically motivated. And in Montessori, we tried to to continue to foster that because we know that they're going to get the external motivation from everywhere else, specifically in the culture. And then to take it a step further, it's about helping, those are my dogs. It's about helping um, the child to have the wisdom to know when to utilize, to tap into their intrinsic motivation and when to tap into extrinsic motivation. Um, and that's, that's a lifelong journey because <laughs> we are still, even as adults, I can say that I am, am driven by external motivation and I have to have that awareness around yeah. that. So, no, I don't I, No, I'm not. Yeah. They're sending me a 20% off coupon, but do I really need this? Mm. Or am I looking for that endorphin rush of purchasing something, yes. you know, and why am I seeking out that endorphin rush? Hmm, did I work out today? <laughs> you know, like, yes, yes. How else so can I fulfill this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's just an example of that, and um, and yeah, and we have a lot of sugar in our in our. <laughs> that's a whole separate topic to discuss. <laughs> my my sister in law is from Sweden, and she said, 
gosh, your guys' food is just your breakfast. It's just all sugar, you know? And so different cultures can definitely, you know, reveal how much sugar, hyper sugared we are here in um, the United States. So, but yeah, that's a whole different topic. <laughs> yeah, but. it is. Yeah. And, uh, but I love the, that awareness part where, we we it, it's it's figuring that out even as adult we we do we have to keep doing that homework it's like it's almost like a skill if you don't keep doing it it just over gets overridden by what we see around right unless we isolate ourselves completely you have to practice that skill that okay this is this is in my inner voice it's telling me not say no to this because of of my values versus externally pushing by this because there is it's a discount it's a really good deal and blah 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 and <laughs> yeah how do we balance that it's it's just like without isolation um it, it's also stress to keep practicing that that matching my value right exactly yeah and so there's that combination of the awareness and then there's the combination of surrounding yourself by people with similar values mm. and giving them permission humbly make, making sure that they're safe people no one's perfect as we know this um but making sure that they're safe people safe person that you can confide in i'm sure you can name Brene brown is just a lot of lot of research data research on um on vulnerability and she talks about having only only about maybe three to five people i want to say um that are your which well she calls them move a body friend but um but people that you can really confide in that align with you and mm -hmm. let's just say you have three really really close friends but they all have three different amazing skill sets about them and you might lean into someone about this this personal situation and you might lean into another person about a professional situation so you 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 have you know a few to, to choose from to share information from because you know that they'll best support you in that area mm -hmm. um so so that it's so i actually give my son's permission um when i'm working through something that i'm trying to unwind that i learned or behavior that i learned as a child that that now i'm realizing is not was not the best practice and I need to unwind that and unlearn and then relearn, I will, um, I will tell my sons, I'll say, okay, when you see me do this, you have permission to kindly say, Hey mom, you're doing this right now. And, and then I will, I will recheck myself. So, yeah. so, so by doing that, I'm not only being humble and admitting that I'm making a mistake, but I'm also asking them for help. And then asking them for help, it helps me, but then also models for them how to ask for help and how to, you know, work mm -hmm. through these things because here I am, you know, in my forties and I'm still learning stuff and I'm still unlearning stuff. And I tell my sons all the time, Hey guys, learn from my mistakes because you're going to make plenty of your own. There's no reason for you to make the same mistakes I made mm -hmm. and I'm going to own my mistakes and understand do my best to understand where they came from and how to unlearn relearn and how to move healthier forward in my life so that's that's been a that's been a big process too and and selling the school had a big a big piece of that in there because i needed to spend more time with my sons um and i needed to you know practice what i was preaching with my families and what mm -hmm. and all those things yeah. and so i took a step back um and but the, the school went to wonderful hands. And so mm -hmm. it was, it was the right time for me to, to make those, those shifts for me personally, so that I could be a better mom and, um, and be, you know, better all around for myself. So it's a lot of personal growth and interrelational um, growth with my sons. It's been great. It's, I, I miss the community, but I'm still yeah. connected with them, but, mm -hmm. but it's, it was the time to do it. It was the season to do it. So. yeah yeah D you started it right you you Correct. were the you you designed all the all of those that was mm -hmm. yes yeah, yeah. The, i love the hay haystacks in the back at the back and all, all the 
handmade seesaw and swing and um, i think a tree house it was beautiful they were all made by different parents as well right mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Yeah. different parents and yeah. we always looked for natural natural items that we could use um, um, resourced uh, refurbished those types of things so children could see that there could be a second life something um second third fourth fifth life to something and you can reuse things which is very countercultural mm-hmm. to our disposable society yeah. so yeah. we were just trying to to do what we felt aligned with um not only Montessori and the philosophy but also um uh, be a little counterculture in, in appropriate ways um that are would reflect being a good steward of the earth right. so right right So how did you you mention about um I'm so glad you took time you know for yourself because that's that's the highest priority that if we are peaceful inside that's when we can give the best to the world as well and spending time with your own kids and um I love that that you you made the best decision for yourself but how it i i do wonder my my husband and i we talk about it like teachers and um, pe- people who are very busy taking care of other children must be very stressful um and you have to go home and attend to your own kids as well your own family so w- how do you guys do it <laughs> so so it's been quite a journey for me i can speak from my own personal experience and um I, just by doing all this reflective work over the last year or so i have learned that i actually have a lot of empathic traits and when you're an empath um you tend to have um you tend to feel emotions of people um you tend to have a higher emotional iq just naturally you do um and you want to help people you just you like you have this this just deep desire to help people. Mm-hmm. And um and and with with any strength like that, um the awareness helped to 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 learn some boundaries. Because you want to pour out so much, but then you forget that you need to be pouring into yourself as well and have mm-hmm. that self-care. And there's a lot of talk about self-care around that's flying around over the last few years and and um there's different levels of it for sure. um but the self care i'm talking about is the the self care that um that allows for me to have healthy boundaries so that i can get my workout in because that fills mm-hmm. me i can sit outside and look at the tree and watch its leaves blow i mean as simple as that and that just fills me and i need that i need to fill my tank so that i can pour out onto other people and um you know there's a, there's a special balance between that and there's, there's no there's no perfect recipe because some people are more extrovert more introvert and relationships come into it. it's it's social work so it's messy it's messy yeah, yeah. But, but the long and the short of it is um everyone has a different sense of um what they need and what they need to pour into themselves versus seeking out from other people too mm-hmm. um and I yeah the self care was was really really big and the boundaries are really big so being a teacher going back to um like I I I just love working with children I love working with families I just I pour myself into it because it just feels right to me but I also had to um have those boundaries over like um telling parents like you know after 6 p.m. I don't look at my email anymore because it's time for me to be with my family yeah. and in the event that it's, it's an emergency absolutely text me like writing in their emergency or emergency on you know like the subject line of the of the um of, of the email email so that there would be some some level of a bit of an ability for them to contact me if necessary but that I would have my boundaries in place and I can tell you I can't even remember at this point maybe 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 once where a parent it was an emergency and and that's fine. I mean one out of 100 plus parents in a year you know times 10 so you know almost a thousand parents maybe you know so it doesn't you know but you have those boundaries and that allows you to be able to not feel like you're divided 
Um, also working with other people's children <laughs> is very different from working with your own. Um, I call parenting like the Peace Corps, the toughest job you'll ever love. Um, <laughs> there's just such a bigger investment um, in your own children um, at a deeper level because of that connection you have with them. And um, and it's just a different dynamic. Um, I absolutely love all children and I, and I love the students that I have had and have and will have in the future. And I absolutely do pour into them and I, and I think of them as my own and I will protect them like a mama bear, like just, just like I will protect my own children like a mama bear. Um, but it is different. And <laughs> People often will say to me, how can you spend all day with those children and then go home and be with yours? Okay. It's, different. Yeah. it's definitely different. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but one of the pieces that I started to, um, to really miss for my own was that personal, that personal time, having the boundaries of mm. the time around. So, so now I, I literally block in time for myself, um, so that I can make sure that I'm in tip top shape, because if I'm not in tip top shape, then I can't pour out the way I need to, but then also yeah. give myself that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy for, and communication with my boys saying, Hey, I'm really not feeling well. So I'm going to go and lay down. If you need anything, let me know. But if you could just give me some time or let's figure something out now so that X, Y, and Z can happen. But I'm just letting you know, I won't be able to help you as much as I might have been in the past because I'm not feeling awesome right now. Mm -hmm. So just communication, lots of over-communication, which I think drives my sons crazy because they're not designed as well to communicate. Um, that's one of the differences <laughs> in the, the genders. Not I'm not stereotyping. It just happens to be more like that. And just having that awareness of that as well is super important to be able to connect with my boys and right. do all those things I need to yeah. do with them to help right. prepare them to be successful in life. Yeah. So. yeah, that's, I love it. I love uh, understanding that, you know, it, it, it's a different thing when it, you connect deeper with your own kids, um, definitely. And not having the boundaries is the key, like any other profession that um, we have uh, today. That was fun. I had a lot of, um, you know, reflective moments talking to you today. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. And, and I really liked about ecotherapy. I wish there's something more slowing down for adults as well designed specifically designed we, we have I think uh, mindfulness and that's in today's market right mindfulness take um, sustainable lifestyle work-life balance so but it, this sounds a bit more different than than maybe the terminology versus the philosophy behind it or the, the core message that it's communicating yeah. And it's all based in nature versus just maybe sitting in your living room and just, you know, having a meditative state. Mm. Um, so, so it is different. Um, but, but I like to think of it as an, another opportunity or another tool for the tool chest to be able to, um, you know, have that as a, as not only an option, but have as a regular ingredient in your, in your, your dish, so to speak of, of, of self, of self-care mm -hmm. and, um, and also, um, healing, you know, healing in areas too. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you're you so, so much. much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm hopeful to talk with you in the future as I learn more too, because I'll continue to learn a lot more about ecotherapy and, and, yeah. um, where it goes and what new discoveries we find and, all those things so always learning super important we'll catch up again we'll have you again and learn more from you so thanks for sharing sounds great thank you again thank you for listening to this podcast on soul in the game i'm your host Savmia. see you all next week again take care bye